From Montreal, Quebec, I'm Jesse Corbet. And also, from uh, Montreal, Quebec, I'm Orad Russia. Because he's sitting right beside Woo! me. Uh, okay, so this is yet another episode of Yet Another Science Show, a show where we discuss science from the points of view of a layman. And a scientist. And this week on episode 7... Is Orad. That's pretty underwhelming, actually. Well, I'm excited about it. Um, oh, well, okay. What we're going to do this, this week is sort of show off our, our science um, street cred. I have none. <laughs> I'm, I'm a writer, uh, but Orad, Orad had he sort of does some science. Uh, well, in his off time, I, I try to. Yeah. Um, when I'm not working on the podcast, yeah. When he's not working on the podcast, he's a what are you, I, a PhD? When candidate? I can squirrel away the hours, yeah, yeah, I'm a PhD candidate at Harvard University. That would be in the states, which is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah. And so, I, I think it's time that we tell the listeners actually what you do, because I don't, I don't really quite understand it. Well, all of it either. So I figure if you talk to me about it like I'm eight years old, then <laughs> I'll know it more and it'll just sort of give the audience, the, the listeners, a sense of where you're coming from. Okay, eight years old. So we can make things really, really little. Okay, I'm in high school, maybe. Oh, okay, high school. Okay, so uh, you know about computers and computer chips. Yeah. And you know that they've been getting faster and smaller. Yeah. Right. And the way they do that is through uh, nano fabrication, nanotechnology stuff. Yeah. And long story short, actually, we, we want the long story today, but uh, long story. Long story long. Long story long. So, long story short is that uh, they've been, this is all electronics. You have these yeah. electrons and they go through the circuits, and it's basically a, a complicated, glorified thing, you know, version of what we learn in high school with Ohm's Law and, and electrons and circuits and currents and things like that. Right. So that is what is the state of the art today. And they do these um, tiny little circuits on the order of, you know, a few nanometers. So a nanometer yeah. is a millionth of millimeter. a millimeter. A millionth of a millimeter. Yeah. Okay. It's really, really small. Uh, that's very small. So imagine making these tiny little wires and electrons go through them. And that's great. The problem with this is that when electrons go through these circuits, um, yeah. they bang up against everything and they release heat. And this is where, you know, electronics heat, heat up. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly where heat sinks come in. Like yeah. your phone is hot and like your yeah. computer is hot. So um, beginning kind of at the beginning of the 2000s, um, people started coming up with different ways of making these tiny well, circuits. Okay, I got a and question so, then before you go any further. Is the heat problem part of... The materials they use, or is it just the pure physics of stuff going that fast, that small? It's the pure physics of electrons okay. in a so circuit. silicon, something else. That's it, yeah. Okay. The exception to that rule is... Uh, this was an exception. I know, I know. The exception is superconductivity. Have you heard of superconductivity? Yeah. Like, yeah. they've been able to cool stuff down really, really cold, and something about... We'll talk, we'll have an episode about this for okay. sure. But somehow the lattice snaps in such a way that the electron is always going downhill... So it doesn't ever bang into anything. Like the oh, electrons are like holding hands, and it's it's really cool. And with super with superconductivity, they they make it very very cold, right? It's a cryo thing. For now, yeah. Okay. There's the holy grail is to have room temperature superconductivity, and so okay. if you go to the Wikipedia page for superconductivity, they show how they meld more and more materials like into more complicated alloys okay. that are slowly bringing the temperature bringing at which you can get it up. And now I think they're down to like minus, um, I shouldn't say a number, minus 70 degrees Celsius or something, just which is... Pulling a number out of the ether. Well, it's it's cold enough that you can do it with just liquid nitrogen, okay, which is, you know, quote, relatively common in a scientific thing. Whereas if you want to go colder than that, it's harder. Okay. Anyway, all this to say, that's the exception to the rule. You almost always, for almost every material 
always have heat. Okay. Well, then what can we do to avoid this heat and this loss and stuff? Well, why not just not use electrons, right? So what okay. I work on is instead of having electrons in these circuits, I have light go through the circuits. So this is the field okay. of optics, photonics. Um, if you know what a fiber optic cable is, then you know we're yeah. already doing it. It's a cable where the light goes along the wire. The only difference is I'm trying to print it in such a way on these little like um, integrated circuits like they do computers. Interesting. Yeah. So it's because the way I see um, fiber optics right now is it's being used a lot in, in communications, right? Fiber exactly. optic cables. So what you're doing right. is taking that cable and making it extremely freaking small. Right. Because it's just yeah. information. That's the layman way to put it. Yeah. So the way they make these fibers is they uh, they have these giant cylinders, like a, a barrel, okay. and then they pull on it from both ends, like a lot. And then it becomes really, really small, it's like a thousandth of a millimeter. And then they put that inside of a big like rubber tubing, yeah. among other things, which I'm ignoring, but a big tubing, and then that's it. That's all they do. They put that under the ocean. Wait, wait, wait. They, they take a barrel of something and yeah. stretch it? It's called, they take a big barrel, so I'm holding, I'm holding my hands out, this is like a... Like, like a, a frisbee. soccer ball size. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know. Okay. And it's and it's long, maybe like this. So you know. So Jess and I usually don't do the podcast facing each other. So yeah, we're using our hands a lot. Uh, it looked like you're holding them. Uh, I'll say an American two feet apart. Yeah, so like okay. it's two feet by a soccer ball in diameter. Okay. And then they pull it. They extrude it. Yeah, for miles. That's how they make. That's how they make fiber optic cables. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it gets really smooth. And wow. it's and it's super not lossy. So if they made think about it, if they made electric wires and they put those under the ocean, yeah. you would lose all that information because of yeah, the heat. It's very, yeah, it loses, yeah, yeah. it gets lost to heat. Interesting. But for optical cables, you don't lose it. That's why they use it for optical stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you take the whole theory and shrink it down even more and down. Yeah, and down. Um, so and there are you know pros and cons. So the pros, I only give when I give the pitch, I only give the pros. Right. So yeah, you know it's not lossy. Which is good. Doesn't create uh, a lot of heat. Doesn't create a lot of heat. You which know, is good. Um, but there's a lot of cons, which we'll get to in a minute. Okay. What I want to know is, yeah, they're extruding barrels of stuff to make these these huge cables. Yeah. What are you extruding to make this tiny little line on a on a chip? Like, how ah, do you make that? Okay, this is really fun. This is my day to day. So there's yeah. always like in research, there's always what the big picture is, and then there's what your day to day is. Yeah. So my day-to-day is I work in what's called a clean room environment. Okay. So it's a special room, which when, pe- when family comes to visit, this is what I take them, I show them. Okay. okay. It's a special room, which has yellow lighting. Um, okay. But most importantly, it has controlled airflow everywhere. Okay. And they're controlled so that there's no dust particles anywhere. Do you have to get into a special suit? Yeah, and you get into yeah? a special okay. suit. Actually, um, we should definitely link this in the show notes. There's a... An episode of Conan O'Brien where he goes, Intel takes them into their clean into room. Into their clean room? Okay. And it's, it's really funny. But yeah, you, you wear a special suit and like, you know, obviously safety glasses and a mask on your face and something over your hair and okay. gloves and boots and everything. Interesting. And you go in there and hopefully there's no dust because everything you're making is a thousandth the size of a dust particle. Right. So if a dust particle lands on it. That's it. It's like a meteor hitting the city. Yeah. yeah. So um, how they make it is kind of the opposite of what you're thinking. What you're thinking of is a what's called a bottom-up approach so you're like oh i'm gonna lay these pieces down and build something like legos right it's actually more like i have this big block of clay and i chisel away everything i don't want okay so how so it works etching rather than building exactly that's okay. etching is even the technical term they use okay. yeah and so uh how it works and this is how all computer chips and processors and everything are made this is it's called okay. the planar process it won the nobel prize in like the 60s or okay. 50s or whatever um and what it is is you start with like a flat layer just mm-hmm. a flat layer of silicon um i personally work on titanium dioxide 
which is, you know, this is my pitch. If anyone wants to hire me, I'm really good at the titanium dioxide. <laughs> um, but uh, so it's a plain, plain layer of silicon, and then you um, using an electron gun or using special focused light beams, you know, you draw a pattern you want. It's a bit more complicated than that. But then you can dissolve it in a chemical or you put in some kind of gas like an and that etches bath. away. Yeah, and it etches away everything that wasn't treated in a way. So you can just draw the wire and then... Okay, but you're treating everything that's not the wire though. Exactly. Because the wire... And then all it does is leave the wire. Right. And then you go, well, I want another layer on top of this. You go, great. So you just put it in a, in a, in a gas chamber and yeah. then you grow another layer of something that's not silicon on there. So usually it'll oh, be okay. glass, silicon dioxide. Then you put another layer of silicon on top of that, and then you repeat the process huh. over and over and over and over. So you etch away everything you don't want, you know. Then you put it, what's called a cladding again, so another glass cladding on top, another layer of silicon, and over and over. And you can have up to fifty, hundred, I don't know, many, many layers. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. It's called the planar process. So that's how it huh. works. So you do like a plane, you yeah. etch it away, flatten it, plane, etch it away. This kind of it's, it's like, a top-down approach. If you create actual microchips from this, this kind of sounds to me like a paradigm shift, like you know, computers. Right. If you go back far enough, it's a bunch of vacuum tubes. Right. Then it's transistors. Right. And transistors. Then it's freaking laser light. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I don't know. It, I have to be, like, full disclaimer. Like, I'm not inventing making computer no, chips. No, I know. You're, like, you're, you're dealing with this. They've been doing this for 10 years. Stuff, and yeah, yeah, and I'm dealing with this small. Um, it's not, like, that cutting edge anymore. Like, so they, ha they sell things that use these optical circuits. Oh, do they? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm kind of blanking on what... Like, people make molecular sensors out of this. Like, uh, I think uh, a famous one is you breathe into a tube, and then light goes through the circuit in the tube, okay. and then it comes out, and then based on how that light has been modified, um, you can detect if someone has... What is the disease? Malaria, was it? You can detect someone has malaria oh, really? based on what's in their breath. You Interesting. Know? Because they've made a special optical circuit that binds to the malaria, okay. and that modifies the light's path. Interesting. Whatever comes out, you can see. Wow, that's really okay. Because look, you know, we're pretty open about the fact that I'm a layman about this. So to me, when I'm thinking about chips, okay, yeah, there's embedded, um, you know, applications. But I'm always looking at what's going to make the you know, the computer on my lap or desktop fast, fast. Yeah, I'm you know? a little jaded. Like when I started, that was what I wanted to do. Yeah, right. I was. I want to make the next generation of computers. Like right. I was so into that stuff. And now that I've been there for a while, like I see why it hasn't happened yet. Because on paper, you're like, wait, so it wastes <clears throat> no heat? You mean it's light? That means it moves at the speed of light. It's got to be faster. It loses no information. It loses, exactly. Like God, on, it's called fusion. On paper. <laughs> right? On paper, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, and But in practice, it's got some drawbacks. So we can talk about the drawbacks. Um, a big one, like a huge drawback, is that light um, doesn't like being squeezed. Um, that's that's kind of how people say it in the industry. So it it has a minimum size to everything you make. Okay. So if you look at um, a computer chip these days using the planar process, yeah. the wires, the filaments on a CPU die are the size nanometers. of... How, what'd you say? I think 90. Was smaller than that nowadays. Oh, yeah, they're like down to 20 something, okay. like 20 something nanometers. So a nanometer again is a millionth of a millimeter. It, it's... A, a, that's a, like... A hair is 10,000 nanometers. Yeah. So it's... A thousandth of a hair is what they got to. And light has, you know, a wavelength. So that wavelength is kind of the size light wants to be at, give or take. So the wires I can make are at the oh, yeah. very least... Oh, yeah, so there's least, a bottom end that you can hit and it. then it's... At the very nice. least, it's like 200 nanometers. So already, like, the smallest footprint I got is 20... Sorry, is 10 times yeah. what the state-of-the-art electronic circuit can be. Okay. So already, like, oh, well, I can't make it smaller, but that sucks. And there are ways around it. 
some people research what's called plasmonics and so plasmonics is you take an optical circuit yeah you put um a thin layer of metal on it so say silver gold something like that and then instead of having a pure light wave going through you have um, a coupling between the light wave Mm -hmm. and um the electrons in the metal so a metal is basically characterized by like the electrons can do what they want they're they're not trapped in a way so like the light is you know first goes through the metal and then is released by the electrons and then it gets caught again by the metal and is released by the electron and this and so, somehow becomes like so, you can make them smaller. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Basically, you can make it smaller. Because to me, but the trade-off, but the trade-off is like immediately once you include metals and electrons, then what, what does that bring in? Heat. Yeah, that's it. That's the trade-off. Right. So on the one hand, it's smaller. On the other hand, you lose a few of the benefits. It's it's more lossy and you have more heat. Okay. All right. I get the the general picture. Yeah. So that's what I do. Now there's another drawback. Electrons. You people have made transistors. Now is the big leap. So we still don't have an optical transistor. Right. And the question is why? And the straightforward answer is that anybody who's taken an electricity magnetism course knows light doesn't interact with light. Light is um, linear. So if I have light going this way and then I have another light going this way, you'll just have twice as much light going this way. That was two horizontal lights, by the way. Oh, man. Yeah, man. It's it's nice being together, isn't it? Yeah. We got to practice. For us, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Listeners, maybe not. But uh, yeah, so light doesn't interact with light. It doesn't see itself. It doesn't see each other. Okay. Um, Whereas electrons, they bounce off each other. Direct, like, buh. You know, like, I know I'm here. We repel each other or something there. Yeah, they interact a lot. And so how can I possibly make it such that light going in one direction is, you know, converted to go elsewhere or diverted, I should say, to go elsewhere? And that's... I guess um, you're not really sticking mirrors into, like, nanometer size. Even mirrors, right? Like, I I want a selective mirror. I can definitely make a mirror that will make my light bounce to the left. But I want it sometimes. Exactly. How can I switch it? Oh, it goes left now. It goes right another time. Right. Okay. And that's hard. Yeah. And so in order to do that, you need what's called nonlinear optics. Right. Yeah. So that's a big word, a big fancy word that basically says you have light see another light. Okay. And um, in a vacuum, that's not possible. All right. Because in the vacuum, that basically means all you have is light and doesn't see each other. But right. you can get materials that are specific materials called, no, they're nonlinear materials. But what's special about them is that the electrons are bound in such a way that like this, as the light comes... Yeah. It bangs this electron like out of phase in a way, like it, it moves okay. it off. And then when the next light pulse comes, it'll like pull it back. Pull it back. So in this fashion, one light beam will see another one, but in reality, it's kind of seeing that light's behavior on the material. Right. But we don't have to say it that way because so, yeah, the light. Once you're adding itself. electrons, are you bringing heat back in? Uh, not in. Uh, yeah. Not enough. It's a different interaction with the electrons, I should say. But you yeah. are right. Fundamentally, you are clever and you're right. Yeah, but no, not in this case. Not not that much in this case. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna get an angry listener calling in now for sure. What you know you mean? Is but hey, we like that, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. No, you know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in nonlinear optics, it means light can see other light. Okay. So what? So when I was remember I pitched titanium dioxide yeah. five minutes ago. That's a very nonlinear material. So the pitch would be that we could make a light switch using titanium dioxide. Only it would be very big. So you know it tackles the problem from these three directions, but completely misses another direction. You know, and I mean really big. I mean on the order of millimeters, which is right. enormous. So in a nutshell, what you do is create the building blocks for new microchips using light instead of electrons. Right. And, and now, and now, so we just spent this time talking about 
telecommunications, right? right? So we spend a little time talking about computers and things like that. But so, there's more. Yeah, there's more. Basically, there's more. Remember I mentioned that sensor earlier? You breathe into the thing. And yeah. Like, yeah, so what's interesting about light is light interacts with everything, you know? Right. Uh, all particles that we deal with, light, you know, bounces off them or gets absorbed by them or something. So there's an um, infinite number of applications that are not just information-based. And let's face it, these days, there's a chip in everything from your phone to your dryer. Yeah. And everything, your dryer. Does your dryer have a chip in it? Yeah. What, is it, what does it do? No. No, I actually, I just hang things to dry. That's my thing. Well, you know. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Eco-conscious. Um, but but uh, the point here is that the, yeah, and there's so, a lot of embedded stuff going on. There's a lot of opportunities for, for, for cool new chips to... Right, and, you know. and the sensor market's huge. So people, you know, right. gyroscope, gyroscope. Oh, here's one, like... Didn't we talk about ways to measure? We talked about the definition of the second, and we talked yeah. about how your the measurement of the second has gotten really, really, really accurate. Yeah. The way they do that is using these optical circuits. They've got what's called a frequency comb, and a frequency comb is basically um, you have equally spaced frequencies of light. Okay. Okay. So a frequency of light is like a wavelength of light. So it's another. Right. It's the inverse of that, but it's the same thing. Okay. So um, it's like as if I gave you. Suppose I were able to hand you, you know, by analogy, three hundred nanometers, four hundred nanometers. 500 nanometers, 600 nanometers, one, two, three, four. That's four photons. Okay. They are perfectly aligned and they are equally spaced in wavelength. Okay. Then you could do something with that. And one of the applications. You can measure it. One of the applications is a really, really accurate clock. Okay. You know, another would be like an awesome gyroscope. Another would be, I don't know, it's really, they won a Nobel Prize for the frequency comb, so a ton of stuff. Really high end accuracy measurements and mm. stuff. Okay, so I mean, this isn't ivory tower stuff. There is going to be real, real world applications for for the stuff that people in this field are working on. Yeah, yeah. You know, you say you were saying like for my laptop on my desk, right? Yeah. Um, people are already using these optical circuits for because they're really great for long distance transmission. Okay. Right. Like as long as you don't care about making it really small, then then it's great. So that's why it's already used for over the ocean internet yeah. transmission. Um, but also you have um, interconnects like in a server rack. So okay. I've got like multiple <clears throat> computers yeah. and I want to hook them up to each other. And so you use like a fiber optic cable between them. Hell, even just at the home, right? Between your, your PlayStation or whatever. Yeah, man. Yeah. Fiber in the node, fiber in the home, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And they're slowly like the optical circuits are slowly taking over what electronic circuits do right. in your computer. So you can have like an optical bus leading to your processor and then leading away from your processor. Your processor okay. itself is still electronic. But so you're still having like the a, speed of the, of the well. I think it, it could be it could be that the speed is faster. I think it's more just to save on heat, heat, yeah, and power. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, by the way, to the listeners, uh, I got a kid in daycare, so I've always got a cold these days. So if you hear like sneezing and stuff, that would be me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. So next up would be mailbag. Oh, wait, before mailbag, I just yeah. got to plug my research lab. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, so uh, I work for the Mazur Group, M-A-Z-U-R. So you can just Google that, or we're for at... you Canadians and other civilized people out there, that would be M-A-Z-U-R. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> slowly, slowly, they take me over. I started saying Montreal instead of Montreal. Oh, oh. Yeah. I can't help it. That's what they say. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so Mazur Group, uh, Mazur.harvard.edu, and you can find all about my research and other research we do in the lab there, which all uses very big lasers. I gotta check this out. Yeah, um, you know, uh, as as an addendum. No, what's the last thing as a conclusion as an epilogue as an epilogue yeah i'm you know what i'm not native i'm not a native english speaker okay so forgive me audience but as an epilogue as an epilogue um you're gonna smack me for that 
As a finishing touch. As a finishing touch. I um, I remember being in um, high school. I was 16, and I was about to so embark the end, on the, end of, the end of high school. school. And um, we always had these, you know, like they have these posters that say, this guy invented this thing, and it's got his face. And it's yeah. meant it's meant for people to like walk around and stumble and say, oh, hey, look. And it's kind of like historical. Like, there's like a set of like seven posters they have in high school. And yet it's somewhere. aspirational as well, right? A little bit, right? And then yeah. the last one always has these question marks because they don't know what to do. And, and they said, like, you know, they've just invented the field of photonics, and who knows where it'll go. Yeah. And I remember like being 16 and looking at it and saying, photonics, photon, that's light. That's got to be better than electronics, you know, with electrons. Yeah. It's got to be better. It's photon. They're light. They move at the speed of light. And that was, I was 16 in 03. Yeah. And uh, and then I remember like... Which makes you a lot younger than me. I'm sorry. I knew that the second I'd say that, you'd say, <laughs> okay. well, I was 16 in 90. Anyway, so 16 in 03. And uh, I remember when I was kind of picking my field for yeah. my PhD... I look. I remember, you know, looking into photon. I'm like, oh, I remember that. That's so cool. And then the, my immediate next thought was, wait a minute, that was supposed to be the future ten years ten ago. Ten years ago. What is going on? Yeah. Why is it taking? So these things are just slow as and hell. That also meant you had to get in there and help it along. Oh yeah, that was right? the right decision yeah. to make. <laughs> Meanwhile, last week, <laughs> last week, Nature published the first carbon nanotube computer. <laughs> right. They made a computer out of carbon nanotubes, and we're trying to figure out the first optical. You're trying transistor. to figure it. Anyway, okay. I digress. Let's, so that's okay. what I do. Uh, you know, writer call in. Thanks. All right, mailbag. Mailbag. So we actually finally got um, voicemail. Yeah. Oh, we have a first voicemail? Yeah, yeah. Here, here, listen to it. Hey, Kathy, Stacy calling from Dr. Peterson's office. Could you give me a call? 508 761 5650. Thank you. Oh. So who's yeah, Kathy? I I don't know. Oh, we fired Kathy. I guess we did. Yeah, Kathy um, doesn't work for the podcast anymore. Sorry, sorry, sorry Stacy. Sorry, Stacy. She I don't know. That that's a wrong number. Do you so, have any other? We got another one. Oh, Here okay. We go. oh, okay. Hello, this is Family Medicine calling for Kathy. Please give us a call back at your earliest convenience. Our phone number is five zero eight seven six one five six five zero. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm worried about Kathy. Kathy, <laughs> call your doctor. <laughs> And while you're at it, <laughs> tell your doctor that they've got the wrong number. Also, to listen to yet another science show. Yes, yes, to listen to the science <laughs> show that they've been calling. And that they're now featured on. <laughs> <laughs> we will bring you updates as, on Kathy's whereabouts on Kathy's as they come in. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I, I think we're actually at the end of the show. Uh, yeah, and if you would like to call and leave a voicemail, voicemail. you can reach us for just Kathy like or Kathy's for doctor did <laughs> at uh, 774-300-YAS, which is 774-309-277. Uh, also, of course, we've got a Twitter page. We're Y-A-S-S podcast on Twitter. Um, also, you can find us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash yet another science show. And uh, tell your friends all about us. Um, you can send us an email at emails at yetanotherscienceshow.com. <laughs> so, with all that being said, um, again, I'm Jesse in Montreal. And I'm Orad in Montreal. Thanks for listening. 